The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, church. How are you? How's it going? Good, good, good. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, I want to welcome you if you're a visitor, if you're new here, or just checking things out. We are uh, grateful that you are here with us this morning. It is daylight savings time, spring ahead, it's spring break, you have a lot of reasons to be other places, but uh, you are here, and we're grateful for that. Um, Also, for those who couldn't make it out and are tuning in on our live stream, just wanted to give you a shout out and thank you for tuning in. You guys can always check that out from home, thesprings.cc slash video. And in that same vein, I'm excited to announce this morning that uh, we have up and running uh, a Springs Church podcast now. So if you are younger and you think podcasts are already lame, or if you're older and you have no idea what a podcast is, you can tune in. Um, and that's, that's on our website. Soon we're going to have the entire Ephesians sermon series, um, all of that on the podcast. So you can get it on your phone, you can download, you can listen, you can get it on, on your computer through iTunes. So if you don't know how to do that, talk to somebody a little more tech savvy and I'm sure they can help you out. But, uh, so that's exciting. And uh, we are actually in our seventh week of the Ephesians sermon series this morning, um, The Mystery of Us. And I appreciated Ben's sermon last week. I particularly appreciated um, that kind of recap portion that he did where he kind of walked us back through everything that we've learned thus far. So he kind of walked us back to, to chapter one where we talked about God is gathering up all things in Jesus Christ and that God has, has raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in the heavenly realms. And then we got to chapter two And Ben reminded us of of our discussions of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. Our discussions of of grace. And then in the second half of chapter 2, our discussions of God reconciling one new humanity. Breaking down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile and creating one new humanity. And then we moved to chapter 3. And, and in chapter 3, we talked about the mystery, the mystery of us, the mystery of God and what he's doing in the world and how the church witnesses to that. And this morning, we turn the page. This morning, we are entering part two of Ephesians. We are entering the second half of not only our sermon series, but the entire book of Ephesians. So as we've talked again and again about this idea of the eye of London, that that big kind of Ferris wheel type thing, looking out over the large cityscape view of God's salvation, this huge cosmic picture. So in in chapters 1 through 3, we've been kind of getting this big view from the heavenlies, this cosmic picture of salvation. Well, in chapter 4 and 5 and 6, we're coming from the heavenlies to the earthly. In chapters 4, 5, and 6, we are moving from this huge cityscape view of London, this cityscape view of salvation, and we are coming down on the ground. 
We are on the streets of London, on the ground, walking the streets, entering houses, peering into cathedrals. This is the practical realities of those big ideas that we spent six weeks discussing. So we get to bring these these heavenly ideas down to earth in the next weeks of our series, the final weeks. So I'm I'm excited for that, and and this morning we're going to begin bringing it down with three questions. Uh, We talked a few weeks ago about those kind of mystery questions, who, what, where, when, why, how. We're going to ask three more this morning. We're going to ask, why are we called, what are we called to, and who is calling us? If you're taking notes, why are we called, what are we called to, and who is calling us? So before we ask that first question, let's jump into our text this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in all. So, so notice a few things about this text this morning, kind of about the language here. Paul says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling. Well, that word that's translated beg, it's actually another form of the word for call. So in this first sentence, we, we get three forms of the Greek word for call right in a row. Bam, bam, bam. I call you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So, do you get a sense of what's going to be important this morning? We're going to be talking about the call, living a life worthy of the calling to which we've been called. It's kind of like if if you answered the phone and and your dad was on the other line, he's like, hey, I'm just calling to call you to call your mother. (laughs) You're like, I get the hint, dad, okay? You're about as subtle as an avalanche here, so I'll call her. But that's kind of what Paul's doing. He's like, call, call, call. This is going to be important in what I am saying to you. Live a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And and also, again, just a quick note, that word live um, or lead a life, that's, again, like in chapter 2, that's literally the word for walk. So, so we got this direction language again, this movement, this Paul wants us to walk worthily of the calling. That's a word, I promise, worthily. Um, so anyway, Paul calls us to walk worthy of the calling. And so, so my final little note about the language here kind of leads into our question of, of why are we called, our first question this morning. Well, this command, this imperative to live or walk worthy of the calling, this is only the second imperative that we've had in Ephesians thus far. It's only the second command that we've gotten. So Paul, back in chapter 2, gave us one quick little command, but now here in chapter 4, and we're going to see in chapters 5 and 6, 
Paul really starts to lay some ethical responsibility on us. Paul is really going to start commanding us to do certain things. So in Ephesians 1 through 3, the language shifts from from that being describing the acts of God to in chapters 4 through 6, commanding the acts of the church. So in 1 through 3, we get, hey, what is God up to? Who is God? What is he doing? And in chapters 4 through 6, we're going to get, here's how the church responds. Or put another way, if you're kind of a a grammar nerd like me, uh, we could put it like this. Christian imperatives stand on Christian indicatives. Let me say that again. Christian imperatives stand on Christian indicatives. So an indicative, just like it sounds, indicates something. It's an assertion or or a fact or an opinion. It it states something about something that is. Uh, So an indicative sentence might be, by grace you are saved. You know, that's indicating something about what God has done, about you being saved by grace. That's an indicative. And on the other hand, an imperative, like we said, is a command. An imperative is, is not about something that is or might be. An imperative is about something someone does or, or must do. So, so an imperative would be brush your teeth or do your homework or go to bed. Parents are pretty big fans of imperatives, I think. So, so when we say Christian imperatives stand on Christian indicatives... We're saying what Christians do flows out of what God has done. We're saying Christian ethics stand on Christian theology. So so Paul, in Ephesians 1 through 3, indicates all these things. He indicates that God is gathering everything up in Christ. He indicates that that we are saved by grace, that he is reconciling both groups, that he is creating one new humanity. And then finally, here in chapter 4, Paul drops an imperative in our lap. And he says, hey, if this is how it is, this is what you got to do. If this is how it is, if, if God is doing all these things, then this is how the church responds. And so this is, this is basically just another way of saying that, that Christian ethics are not arbitrary. I just want to linger here one more moment before we move on because this is really going to be important for the rest, rest of the book of Ephesians, the next three chapters. It's to say that, that Christian ethics aren't just these random rules put in place by a God who just wants to suck the fun out of life. Okay? You know, Christian ethics are not just these rules by, by a church that, that is stuffy or lame or capricious. The Christian ethics are dependent upon Christian theology, upon what God is doing and who he is. And in the same way, uh, we might talk about sin in this light as well. So sin is not just this list that the church has established randomly. Sin 
is, as one theologian says, sins are thumbnail sketches of dehumanizing behavior. Thumbnail sketches of dehumanizing behavior. So think of it this way. If Paul indicates that what God is doing in the world is, is reconciling us together, is creating one new humanity, then sins are actions unbecoming of that one new humanity. Sins are, are actions that, that go against the grain of what God is doing in the world, of actions that betray that one new humanity. And we're going to find this throughout the rest of Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6, that sins are, are really just actions that are unworthy of the calling. Sins are actions unworthy of the calling. And we know this because Christian imperatives stand on Christian indicatives. As you all know, I'm married to a photographer, so I know that uh, wedding season is just around the corner, and it wouldn't be a proper wedding if there wasn't also a proper reception, right? You know, the dancing, the music, the fun, that, that's when it really gets going. And one other fun part about receptions that I particularly enjoy is, is the toasts, not the bread, the tribute. And I... I enjoy the toast, especially if I don't know the bride and groom super well or one of them very well, because you kind of get this, this insight from somebody, the bride, the maid of honor, the best man. You get insight from somebody who knows them intimately, knows them well. You kind of get a peek behind the curtain at what they're really like. And, and one of the common refrains that I hear in a lot of the, the wedding toasts that I, that I watch are, is this kind of common refrain that sounds something like this. It's like, okay, Sally, I'm talking as the best man here. Sally, you found an amazing man in Bobby, and he's just an awesome dude, and, and you're so lucky to have him, total catch. He's going to be a great husband, so hang on to him. Or, or we might say, you know, treat her well, or, or cherish him. And the, the general gist being that, hey, You've found this amazing covenant partner, this incredible person that you've been covenanted to. So, so live up to that. Live up to who they are and, and what you've got. And we're actually going to get some, some marriage and family kind of imagery, especially once we get on to Ephesians 5. But I'm already hearing some of those tones in this text this morning. I'm, I'm kind of hearing Paul say something like that toast. He's kind of saying, hey, church, you married up. Uh, like, church, you're out of your league. And I speak as someone authoritatively in this department. So, so Paul's kind of saying, hey, church, I just spent three chapters toasting to, to God's amazing covenant love. I just spent three chapters toasting to all these incredible things that God is doing in the world and, and who God is. So live up to it. Hang on to it. Live up to the greatness of God's covenant love. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I'm calling you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Which leads us to our second question this morning. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, our second question is, what are we called to? 
So we've seen the why, we've seen the, the indicatives that, that stand underneath the imperatives. And so what does the call look like? What, what are the imperatives? So let's read verses 1 through 3 again. In Ephesians 4, Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What are we called to? Unity. Plain and simple. We are called to unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Here's what, here's what Paul's saying. Here's the point I think he's making. I think he's saying that unity is not secondary, it's primary. Unity is not secondary, it's primary. Remember when Ben talked in, in the second half of chapter 2 about how, hey, we're reconciled together and we're reconciled to God. It's not this ancillary thing that, okay, I'll get reconciled to God by myself individually, and then I can think about getting reconciled to you guys. You know, then Rod and I can, can work on our stuff. Then we can, you guys can figure out your stuff together. So that, that's not how it works. Unity is not secondary. It's primary. Unity is not secondary. It's primary. But notice that this isn't just any kind of unity. Look, look closely at the words that Paul uses. He says it looks like humility, gentleness, patience, and love. That's the call to unity. That's what that call looks like. Humility, gentleness, patience, love. So, so church, I've got to ask us kind of a painful question this morning. How many non-Christians do you think, when they think of Christians, immediately jump to those adjectives, humility, gentleness, patience, love? How many non-Christians do you think, when they think about how the church interacts with society at large, with other churches, us inside these walls, how many do you think actually go straight for humble, gentle, patient, loving. I don't think too many. I don't think too many. At the very least, I'd say not enough. And in fact, how many of us, even, when we think of, of Christians, when we think of the church, would jump to those adjectives necessarily right away? Humility, gentleness, Patience, love. But here's a counter question for you. Here's a little more hopeful question. What if we as a church became fixated on Ephesians 1 through 6? What if every building vision team and missions vision team and elder and delegate meeting had to start with a reading of Ephesians 1 through 6. What if 
No members who, what if members who are trying to reconcile with one another couldn't say a single word to each other until they'd prayed this passage together? What if at our new building we, we emblazoned this passage in holy graffiti on the walls of our church? And we said that, that every single action, every sermon, every youth lock-in, every missions fundraiser is going to be fueled by and founded upon unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's going to be founded on humility, gentleness, patience, and love. That might be a church worthy of the calling. That might be a church shaped by the call of Christ. And this leads to our final question this morning. And that final question is, who is calling us? Let's, let's read the final three verses of our text then. It's Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6. Paul says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. Those three verses, it's very likely that this passage right here was an early Christian confession, an early Christian creed or, or even baptismal formula. So something that early Christians would have confessed before they were baptized one spirit, one body, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. But notice something else about the structure. Notice the wording. The word one appears seven times in this text. That's a pretty holy number. That's, that's an important biblical number, the word one. But more than that, did you notice the, the triads, the threes that we've got in there? We've got one body, spirit, hope. One Lord, faith, baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, in all. Spirit, Lord, Father. One God, over all, through all, in all. What we've got, I believe, in Ephesians chapter 4 is a, a very rudimentary confession of the Trinity. This, this early Christian creed, this early baptismal formula in, in beautiful simplicity is confessing that, that God is one and God is triune. That God is one and that God is three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's right here. Unity in Trinity, Trinity in unity. So what does this mean for us? This, this has profound implications. It really does. Because this means that we find true unity in God's triunity. We find true unity in God's triunity. In other words, this, this is to say that Christians don't create unity. We confess it. Christians don't create unity. 
We don't have to, to conjure it up of our own volition, of our own power and accord. God has created the unity. And in fact, the doctrine of the Trinity means that within God is unity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that, that within God from eternity is relationship and is self-giving love. So this, this is the indicative that, that is the foundation for our imperative to, to live the calling of unity. We are to live to reflect what God is doing in the world and who God is in himself. This is, the, this is the call to unity. This is the foundation, church. Whenever we come together, whenever we sing, whenever we preach, whenever we pray or read scripture, we are confessing this unity and we are attempting to live into it and witness to the world the one new humanity in Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me and confess that unity in song this morning?